G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day everyone, welcome to Footyology Final Siren. Uh, glad you could join us uh, instead of that uh, other event going on in Tokyo at the moment. Who wants to watch an Olympic ceremony in front of no crowd anyway? Bit flat, you'll have much more fun here and uh, a lot more entertainment, I'd suggest. As we wrap up, Port Adelaide's 28-point victory over Collingwood at Marvel Stadium. Uh, we'll run through the scores and details in a moment, but uh, this is all about answering your questions. Anything about tonight's game? Uh, Port Adelaide, they win, but uh, how well did they win? Are they a genuine premiership chance? Collingwood, how does their future look, Magpie fans? Tell us your thoughts. A lot of inexperience in that team tonight. Uh, I think it was seven players with 10 or fewer games to their name. So they're really uh, blooding the youngsters. I think they've played more debutants this year than any other side. So Magpie fans, tell us your thoughts about your team's future. Anything else? Uh, doesn't have to be about Port Adelaide, Collingwood, anything else going on in the footy world you'd like to discuss. As I say, very good evening to my footyology final siren co-host, Mark Fine. What'd you make of it tonight, Finey? Oh, well, I've watched more intense games of Friday night football row, but job done for Port Adelaide. And it really looked like they, they were there just to get the four points and not much else whenever they were challenged by those upstarts, the kids from Collingwood. And there was a bit of challenge in the wasn't there, getting to within nine points in the last quarter. Port Adelaide had the answers. Look, when you've got a young team like Collingwood stripped of Scott Pendlebury by quarter time, you're really sort of watching through the gaps in your fingers if you're a Collingwood supporter. But I reckon by the end of the game, they would have had cause to, if not be overjoyed, then some optimism. I liked Ollie Henry's game and a few others put their best foot forward as well. Bianco continues to impress and there is something being garnered out of this period under Robert Harvey, I reckon. Yeah, I don't mind Bianco at all. I think he's got a bit of class about him and uh, of course, Josh Dacos we've seen a, a bit of over the last couple of years. Nick Dacos to come, the much vaunted Nick Dacos. So not without some decent prospects on the horizon. Uh, Port Adelaide, I guess another thing that will come up in discussion is the structure they decide to put out in the field for the rest of this season and going into the finals. So they went pretty tall up forward tonight with uh, Dixon, Georgiades, Marshall and Laddams. Um, you have to say it worked to an extent. Uh, Dixon and Marshall, seven goals between them. Ladham, uh, Laddams with another couple. So uh, that's worth throwing up on the table too, I think. But anything you would like to talk about, send your questions in and we will rip through them. While you're doing that, let's check out the scores and details from tonight. So fairly subdued start to this game. Collingwood certainly looked pretty decent early. They had two goals on the board in under four minutes, actually, through Myacek and Ellie's. Port gradually working their way into proceedings 
and uh, really dominating territory in the inside 50 count late in that first quarter. Uh, scores pretty close to level at quarter time. Port really grabbing the ascendancy in terms of territory again in the second quarter. Didn't really reflect on the scoreboard. Four goals for the quarter. They did hold the Magpies goalless. So they took a 19-point lead into halftime. Third quarter, probably the most entertaining quarter of this match. Five goals each. And just when you thought Port was going to go on to a, a crushing win, the Pies managed to work their way back into proceedings. A run of three goals there in about five minutes to Majacek, Cox and Cameron. Port with a couple of steadiers uh, late in the third quarter. And that was sort of how the second half panned out. Collingwood came again with uh, the opening two goals of the last quarter. In fact, Trent Bianco's goal uh, made the difference just nine points uh, less than five minutes into that opening uh, last quarter. So heaps to play for there and game definitely on the line. But Port did close it out pretty efficiently. They kicked the last three goals of the match, two to big Charlie Dixon, um, including a monster goal from well outside 50 to give them the final goal of the game and 28 points the margin in the finish. The final scores, Port Adelaide 14-13-97, defeating the Magpies 10-9-69. Let's have a look at those goal kickers and the best. And for Port, four to Dixon, three to Marshall, two to Laddams, singles to Amon, Woodcock, Houston, Rosie, and Wines. For the Pies, three to Majek, two to Henry. Uh, some good glimpses from him again. Singles to Elliot, Dugowie, Cox, Cameron, and Bianco, the best, as voted by Mark Fine. You went with Carl Eamon as your best for the power. Willem Drew. Willem who? Willem Drew. Uh, good game from him. He's uh, in pretty good form at the moment. Wines, Marshall, uh, Dixon and Houston. No Travis Spoke in his 300th game. No. Okay. no, I didn't think so. No, Did you we? think so? Uh, oh, I thought he was solid, but no, no. I'm, I'm you know, not, neither here nor there for me. And for the Pies, their best. Adams, Crisp, Majacek, Henry, Grundy, and Dugowie. So uh, get in some questions on that. Tell us what you think of those best. Did we did finally miss anyone? Is there anyone who's a bit lucky to appear in that list of best? Okay, we've got plenty of questions coming through. Let's rip through a few, finally. Mr. Bods says, thank God there's an alternative to the Olympics opening ceremony. We concur. Trout from Woodend. Good to see you hanging in there, Trout. Um, I wish I watched the second half of the footy than the terrible opening ceremony of the Olympics. The pain. Or someone can tell us what was wrong with it. David Haley says Robert Harvey deserves a crack at the full-time Collingwood job. I'll throw that one to you, Fawny. What chance has he got? Because I reckon it's next to zero. You are quite correct. Buckley's and none. Yep. Look, he was given a few games to... Not really put his case forward, I don't reckon, even just to probably honour the time he spent at Collingwood, which has been the best part of a decade. They'll be looking for a new regime, and that would certainly be somebody from outside the club, given that Nathan Buckley and Robert Harvey worked hand-in-hand hand for so long. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you keep seeing different names emerging here and there. I mean, at the moment, the front runner appears to be Don Pike, which 
might surprise a few people. I mean, then again, he has coached an AFL club to a grand final. So uh, getting a lot of good raps for his work uh, at Sydney under John Longmire. So um, maybe that's sort of, you know, we, we talk about um, coaching off and following trends, you know, and we've seen Brett Ratton resuscitated as an AFL coach. You know, perhaps now clubs are more prepared to say a guy who's coached previously and got the fleek isn't necessarily washed up as a senior coach, which I think would be a good thing, wouldn't it? I agree. All right. It, looks, it seems as though experience is the currency at the moment and certainly what was once considered a black mark, which is seniority in years, is now a positive. All right. Well, look, here's, here's an interesting one. Ryan says, I bet Rocco wasn't surprised about Adam Simpson's comments regarding private schools. Now, are you, are you across this fine? No, I'm not, Robert. All right. Well, uh, I haven't got the quote with me, actually, but Adam Simpson, West Coast coach, was talking about cuts to um, AFL club football departments. And he was talking about that in the context of recruiting. And he was basically saying that you're more prepared to take a left field selection if you have sufficient structures around them in terms of player welfare, um, you know, educational, job training, blah, blah, blah. What he said was, you know, we're going to end up, and I think he, I don't know, I don't know if he was just being specific about West Coast. He said, we're, I, I really need the quote here. In fact, I'm just going to duck onto Twitter here and find it. Just bear with me a second because it's important that we have the quote. Uh, all right, he said, you really want to go for the talent and gee, this kid needs a lot of help. We can resource that with support around either mental health issues or family support or learning difficulties. We just don't have that anymore. And you're more inclined to go safer in the draft and you'll draft the same type of player. You know, mum and dad are still married. The kids go to private schools. They're not too much of a hassle off field. Now, there's some people saying, look, he's been taken out of context in that he is not making a judgment. He's not saying this is right. He's saying it's a statement of fact. My view on this, and it's a view a lot of people have taken too, is I don't like the inherent prejudices that that comment reveals, um, particularly in Perth. I mean, what's the uh, the big private school over there, the Hale School, I think it's called. I mean, that's produced the uh, well-adjusted likes of uh, Ben Cousins. Uh, I think Michael Gardner might have gone there. Christian Porter, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So... I am a product of a, a government school education and I, I don't like that sort of assumption that a kid that's gone to a private school is going to be better adjusted. My bigger point with this, and I'll get your comment in a sec, Finey, my bigger point with this is that if clubs put enough time and energy into creating the sort of environment um, that was inclusive, that was accepting, um, that was encouraging, that was sensitive to cultural and mental health issues, they wouldn't need to invest in the, you know, the cost of those support structures. They'd be a natural state of affairs at any football club. And it really is up to the clubs themselves to break the mould and to, you know, sort of break the shackles of these ugly stereotypes and be prepared to give people from different backgrounds and from um, underprivileged backgrounds and from state schools and from remote areas and from Indigenous communities a go without reflexively thinking, oh, we need to support them with all this army of, of uh, support and welfare, otherwise they're going to go off the rails. 
So it's created a fair bit of controversy today. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my initial thoughts are that until 30 years ago, football clubs really were football clubs without a great deal of that sort of structure beyond the nuts and bolts of kicking a football, marking it and handballing it. I think each club had a chaplain and that was about it. And footballers came to clubs and generally they were good places to be. I mean, not all clubs, but you're right. If a club is the right environment, and certainly in the past and going forwards, it would be the right place for anybody from a variety of backgrounds, given that football was born out of working class Melbourne, certainly the VFL was. It wasn't a private school, it wasn't the private school domain, and young men flourished playing football, and it was a good place to be, and I think it still is a good place to be. I would be surprised if somebody from a different background to the one described as preferable by Adam Simpson has family members or themselves would be hesitant to go to a football club because of possible negative effects that that environment might have. It still, to me, is a positive place. Well, I, th I think you tie this in with the context of the junior, um, junior football pathway to the AFL now. And there's no doubt that that has started to lean heavily towards the private school system. And certain people that have sort of become more invested with that under-18 competition, i.e. Craig Kelly, I think have perhaps exacerbated that prejudice. And uh, Jake and I wrote a great piece about this a while back now, I think it was summer before last. But the numbers speak for themselves. You know, we're seeing now Indigenous kids given scholarships to rich private schools and they're drafted from there. Why should that have to happen? You know, why, why can't the game or AFL development invest enough in those Indigenous communities so players can come straight from there to an AFL club and we don't have to further feather the nest of an education system that is already, I think, disturbingly unequal between the haves and the have-nots? That's a good point. And it would be an opportunity for the entire community to benefit from having a youngster who is capable of playing at the top level, both boys and girls. You're right. I've got a feeling that some of these scholarships are feel-good stories for private schools that have more to do with their overall standing and image in the community and being part of a woke society than their real standing and their real positioning with those communities. That being said... My children go to Wesley College, or I've had children at Wesley. I've got one there at the moment. And they've got a long-standing relationship with a community in Western Australia that has nothing to do with sport and everything to do with cross-cultural learnings. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's good, isn't it? And I'm not, you know, look, it's very touchy subject, the whole thing about education and private schools and, it, you know, our views on it tend to reflect our own personal experience. I just... I don't have a problem per se with private schools. I do have a problem with the amount of government schools that are underfunded and the amount of government schools that don't have adequate sports programs because they don't have the resources to devote to them. I think well, well I, can, I can speak to that, Rowan, because I, I had two girls. My girls went to Wesley. My boys went to Glenora College. Yeah. And there's virtually no sport at Glenora College. Well, doesn't that yeah, underline what I'm saying? 100%. Save what they can 
scraped together, uh, you know, on the asphalt that surrounds the school, which is some pretty competitive basketball matches, don't get me wrong, but as far as grounds, football teams, I didn't see any of it. Whereas, of course, Wesley College is drowning in such facilities. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting debate. We'll see what comes of that, but let's move on for now. Um, Trout, again, says in the first half tonight, so many poor turnovers. Seems to be happening a lot since the bye. Have you noticed it? Oh, look, I, I think I'm noticing on a general level um, skills disappoint me, you know, and it's easy to sort of make the excuse about the greater pressure being applied to players with the football now, but uh, you know, the ability, the lack of ability of players to kick on both feet now, I think, is a real worry. Um, you don't see enough guys now that can kick naturally on either foot. Um, I think decision-making is not... You know, I just think we're perhaps, you know, and again, it's all just observation, isn't it? But I think we're tending to produce more players who are athletically gifted without necessarily having natural football talent. How do you say that? You know what my gut feel is watching football this year, and I don't bow to any statistics on this, but I feel as though marking is back and marking is important and teams are, are structuring up to have the ball marked in the forward line by tall forwards. And that there has been a return to the kick mark game in that regard. But equally, I seem to have, the game seems to have lost the ability of... I just don't see a lot of long-running goals anymore or players really happy to take shots when mobile from 40, 50 metres out. It, it seems to be a lack of ability or a lack of direction or coaching that says we don't want to be taking shots on the run from 40, 50 metres out. We, we want the ball up at the top of the goal square to be marked by our tall forwards or crumbed. Which is sort of funny because the over the last, I think now, six weeks, um, the game kicking for goal has been as bad as it's ever been at any time in the game. The uh, yeah. accuracy rates over that period have been as bad as we've seen. So I would, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, it, it, that's all good in theory. But if the guy who you give the ball to in a better position, 25 metres out, is they going to miss? <laughs> sort of defeats the purpose a bit, I would have thought. Yeah, and, and are a lot of balls that are being kicked up to the top of the square just being forced through and punched through for points comfortably by defences? Well, I don't know about that. Maybe someone's got some figures on a uh, number of rush behinds this year. All right, here's a comment about Port from Robert Rice. If Port Adelaide can hold on to fourth spot and get Grey, Motlop and Fantasia back for the finals, then I give them a chance. Um... I've got to say, look, it's pretty you know, sort of foolhardy to say this of a team in the top four, but I, I just don't see them on the same level as the three teams above them and potentially even one or two below them. Um, and maybe, like I look at Sydney, for example, they're in sixth spot, but I look at the sort of footy they're playing at the moment and the upside left in them, and I, I just I would back them over Port. I know Port beat them. But they did beat him in Adelaide and by a kick and a bit. Um, it's just, Port just seemed to me to be the sort of archetypal side that is good enough to get to a certain level 
they consistently beat the teams they should. I think it's, uh, it's something like 18 or 19 opponents now beneath them on the ladder that they've beaten in a row. But they've been consistently unable to beat the teams above them. They had that win earlier this year over Richmond. But even then, I think Richmond was struggling a bit with injury. I, I just can't see them doing that, particularly away from home, for three weeks of the finals campaign. Do you? I agree. I don't think that their midfield's deep enough, Rowan. Yeah. yeah no, something in that. Uh, Johnson Von Trapp from New York. New says, York. Pies fans should be going full digger tonight. We were crucified. Do you think they were crucified, Finey? No. i tell you what, there was one piece of play where I reckon it was Travis Boak. The ball went up in the Collingwood forward line. And before Majacek went for the mark, he just pulled him out of the contest. It looked like he dragged him out by the side. But it was ridiculous. And Boak ended up getting a free kick in 50 metres. And if I was a Collingwood supporter, I still would have been yelling about the first bit. Actually, I will say this. I'll individualise. I think um, Jordan Roughhead was crucified tonight. He just... Oh, yeah, yeah. He got pushed yeah. in the back twice, clearly. Well, yeah. And the second time was really blatant by Dixon. And then there was that one where he got the handball away and, and got pinged for holding the ball for some yeah. reason. What yeah, the hell he was, was that crucified. about? Yeah, just because um, he's awkward. I, I don't know. They too, seem, just seem to take a real dislike to him. So, yeah, look, I, I think there's something in that. Um, not crucification, but uh, I, I think they certainly got the rougher end of the deal in terms of those 50-50 calls tonight. Did uh, you feel the game was played differently by the two teams? Like, Collingwood were really sort of intense and trying hard and the kids were throwing themselves into it. And Port, just whenever they wanted to, just sort of flicked the ball around and kicked it up to a tall forward as though, yeah, we'll just kick a couple of goals now. It was a pity that the team who played the less intense brand of football won the game, but they did. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. And I think it's, uh, you know, they talk about the danger of flirting with form. I think it's, you know, I don't think it's even something you do consciously, but the fact that, you know, it's an even, uh, it's a subconscious thing, I think is um, cause for concern enough because we've just talked about where they're at. You know, they're going to have to have absolutely everything going for them to be able to win this flag. I mean, look, Robert makes a decent point about those ins. What I'd say about Gray, Motlop and Fantasia is they're all similar sorts of players, aren't they? Uh, particularly Gray and Fantasia. They're those sort of small, medium-sized forward goal kickers. Is that what they lack? Um, they're well served in that department, aren't they? When you consider that Rosie and Butters play forward and centre most of their football and, well... Yeah, I, I think they would rather a, a rock-solid midfielder than those three. I think they... I feel like they lack a bit of a forward 50 terrier, you know, a Cozzy Pickett type, an Eddie Betts type. Do they have one of them? No, not really. No, they don't but they, really. But I guess when you've got Robbie Gray on song and Rosie and Butters, you write your own script. You know, you, you can survive on first, you know, you, you don't need to worry as much about loose ball because those guys can really mark, kick, goal on their own accord. So they're all match winners. They haven't shown this year the ability, as you say, to take better opponents on and lead them a merry dance, if you know what I mean. At best, they're sort of hanging on at home against them. Mm. 
and what we've seen this week didn't show any intensity to ramp up the effort as we head towards the finals. It better start next week. Well, you know, the, the big unknown about this final series right now, and it's even really at the moment, it's a greater unknown than it was last year, is venues. Where? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I don't think they're going to want to play finals here in front of no crowds. I, I think where they can get crowds is going to be the biggest determining factor for where finals are played. So right at the moment... Queensland. Um, yeah, and, and WA. You know, I think the... And given that Queensland had it last year, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, Perth ends up with the grand final this year. And, yeah, you know, I mean, I'd say as a, you know, a neutral person, I'd, I'd much rather watch a grand final in WA in front of 60,000 people or one at the MCG in front of none, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah and they'd be... What was the game last year that was a non-WA game that was a sellout? Um, I'm not sure. Grand Collingwood was along. Or, no, there was a game. Oh, sorry. You meant a, not, a side in, a game in Perth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they sold it out. Uh, no. no, that was a Dreamtime game this year, Essendon Richmond. Oh, Essendon Richmond. Yeah, that's yeah. that would, I think be all the encouragement the AFL needs to play the finals in Perth, Ronald? Yeah. Oh, look, it's a fantastic venue. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And it's, you know, it's a traditional football state. I, I don't have an issue with that at all. And right. it works perfectly with their buy at the end of the season because that way every team can go over there that's in the finals. They can quarantine and get on with the business. Yeah. Yeah, right at the moment. Uh, and don't worry, the WA government's sort of putting the feelers out. Uh, you'd think it's a pretty reasonable prospect at the moment. Um, a. Mills says, Cox, the sub, makes no sense. Well, it certainly restricts the <laughs> amount you can do with the sub, doesn't it? doesn't exactly add to your run, which is what most people want with their sub, you know, that sort of fresh injection of legs. I reckon, they, is- should have, I reckon they should have taken... A punt and seeing Pendlebury was subbed out, they should have subbed Cox into his position. I wanted to see Cox ruck roving. On ball? Just yeah. at the drop of the at the drop of the ball. Well, he's not taking any marks. Might as well get him running around and seeing what he can do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a weird one. Um, I don't know. I'm try you know, I can't think of all the medical subs we've had this year, but I dare say, you know, ninety-nine percent of them would have been sort of more versatile running players, wouldn't they? Guys that can run a bit. I mean, you have to I remember, be, I remember when we first had the sub, not the medical sub. Remember the first time we ever had the sub? Yeah. And John Longmire was coach in Sydney and he had a ruckman as the sub. And after the game, he said, I think I got that wrong. That's not, I won't be doing that again. Yeah. Well, like, like I said, it limits your options. Um, uh, Simon Mundy says, Dixon literally pushed out Roughhead for all his goals. What a disgrace. Yeah, Ooh. now I'm, I'm going to say this now. When Last week when St Kilda were playing Port Adelaide, I was shocked at how often they pushed St Kilda players in the back and got away with it, both defenders and attackers. And you're saying this week you didn't notice at all because you don't... No, I noticed a double. I oh. kept an I, it. Look, the umpires have... have decided that pushing the back's okay and I think it's wrong. I think it's gone too far. Well, the thing about the rough, the last roughhead one where he got pushed out was he, he wasn't pushed in the back. He was pushed him aside. But isn't that 
a free kick for uh, it's not inter- interference. I mean, you can't not- just... Oh, I don't know. Look, in fact, I couldn't point you to the exact rule, but surely even if a ball is within five metres, right, and I know that's one consideration, you can't just take your opponent and push him out of the way, can you? Or can you? Well, if it's within five metres, you can. Then it's sort of considered a battle of strength and the opponent's expected to hold his ground. But, you know, within five metres, that's a pretty hard thing to do, that big motion and market. So it almost says that it's not within five metres. Hard to measure five, you know. It's very much a, a, a guesstimate by the umpire, isn't it, for a travelling ball in midair? All right. Um, Leroy Jones says, Scott, as in Brad Scott, will coach Collingwood take it to the bank? Ooh. Okay. Oh, maybe you could tell us what your sources are on that one, Leroy. But, yeah, he's certainly, he's certainly someone who will have come up in discussion. I think he might have a bit of a choice, though, because I think he'd be an even warmer favourite to take over from Footy yeah, Steve Hawking's job. I mean, I think that'd be a good appointment. You know, he's already in there. He's he's uh, worked in development. He's coached at senior level. He has been running the VFL, um, you know, framework. So he's already got a variety of experiences, and he can handle the heat publicly because he's done it as an AFL coach. So. I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up getting that job. But, you know, if he's got a choice, maybe it, the competitive um, fires will be stoked again. He came from Collingwood, didn't he? <clears throat> yeah, he was development coach at Collingwood before. Uh, he then went to... Uh, oh, no, he went straight out of there to North Melbourne, actually. Yeah, it was Chris that went to Fremantle as an assistant mm-hmm. coach. Um uh, Johnson Von Trapp doesn't want Don Pike for Collingwood. I don't want my team standing like robots or having their dignity stripped at camps. <laughs> I think he might have learned his lesson on the camp yeah. one. Might not have any more camps, I think. Uh, Chris Hale uh, wants you to discuss the artwork behind you, Finey. So can you do that without looking at it? Yeah, yeah, it's crap. Oh, come on. Well, what is it? I don't know, I, was picked, I don't know. My, my wife thought the colours were nice. I've just, you know. Is it a tree or something? I'm just Yeah, to... it's a tree. Okay, it's all right. Shocker. Um, I've got some artwork behind me. I've got a poster, Real Wild Child. It's the Australian uh, rock music then and now at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney. That's about 25 years old, I think. I've got a Paul Kelly platinum record next to that. That's for uh, Gossip, the double mm-hmm. album. And I've got some Essendon premiership photos next to that. I, I've, I had a great musical week, by the way. I, I went back and rediscovered a band that is just great to watch. Who's that? Tism. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I never I never actually saw them live. Um, everyone Collingwood Town Hall was their nadir. Is that the... Zenith, sorry, they're Zenith. Yeah, Nadir's the opposite. The opposite. Yeah, yeah. no, they're Zenith. Yeah, okay. with the greatest rendition of Old Man River. Oh yeah, he'll he'll never be an old. He'll man. never be an old man, you know. Yes, they were. Uh, they were pretty fun. Uh, Ron Hitler Barassi, the front man. Yep. Uh, all right, let's keep moving. Um, oh, we've got a few people weighing in on the school discussion. Uh, people pointing out Ben Cousins, private school and both parents together. 
Uh, Wesley, someone says. Our cousins went to Wesley. Okay, correction. Hale School also produced Ben Robert Smith, says Peter Phoebe. Yes, its uh, reputation hasn't been looking that flash over the last six months or so. Ah, a newsflash from Damon Jackman, our roving reporter. Um, <laughs> apparently, Scott Pendlebury saying he thinks he's broken his leg. He did. I remember. I was going to say. I think he broke his leg in about two thousand and nine. Uh, missed out in the final from memory. So oh, that's unfortunate, isn't it? Terrible. Uh, they've done it tough this year. Obviously, that'll be the end of his season. All right. Um, uh, a lot of people weighing in on the school stuff. Uh, okay, sorry, I'm just scrolling down a few here. Craig Dave W. Smith. Which one of those names is actually yours? <laughs> How did you think the Collingwood kids went tonight without Pendles and Adams for a large part of it? Finey? Oh, Adams was there, I thought. Yeah, um, he, oh, he went off late. He went off late. Pretty late. Yeah. I thought that was very good. I like, I really, as I said, Ollie Henry looks likely as a forward after a few false starts. I think we've been impressed by Bianco. Pulls up, you've got to remind yourself, he's only a first year player. He's been omnipresent. He's faded a bit, hasn't he? Like his first year games are really impressive. Yeah, but, but, he's, but he's sort of part of the team. There's Rusko. You know what? Rusko yeah. looked all right back of the ball. I don't know about Rusko. Like, they were wrapping him up tonight, and he did some decent things. I must say, when I've seen him previously, I thought, oh, this guy's a, he's a bit of a battler, but maybe I haven't given him enough credit. It's hard to play forward in a team that's struggling, but he played behind centre tonight, and I thought that worked okay. Toehill looked like he's probably not ready for league footy, young Irish boy. Yeah, he struggled early, didn't he? he yeah. first possession was the intercept, wasn't it, to... Um... Rosie or Butters, who missed. Yeah. Yeah, he was he, he was nervous. Uh, how do you reckon uh, Ginevan went? Um, hard to pronounce. Well, it's definitely a hard G. I read it that It is Ginevan? Yeah. Okay. Um, no, he didn't do much. That's okay. All right, here's an interesting one, because I've seen this question asked a fair bit. Chris Hale says, as a Port supporter... Uh, how much longer do we give Hinckley, who's yet to take Port to a grand final after nine years? Surely that's a bare minimum for 2021, which doesn't look likely, to be honest. There is a feeling among Port supporters that Hinckley gets an easy ride of it from the media, doesn't get put under the same pressure as some of his contemporaries do. Uh, look, I would say this. that I mean, given that they were on top of the ladder all last season, um, missed out in a grand final by a kick... Uh, you would have to say, you know, anything um, less than that this year is a downturn, isn't it? I feel like the chairman or the president or whatever Cocksy is, loves, he loves him. Yeah, he's put him under a bit of uh, hate a few times. Yeah, but it always stands by him, I think. I think he's a performing coach. You've got to realise that there's not a... I don't feel as though that there's a group of, you know, coaches in waiting that are knocking down the door saying that we should be coaching at the moment. So it's one thing to ask a coach to step aside. It's another thing to have a replacement who's as good as him. 
Yeah, I'm just trying to think about the whole... Look, he certainly started with the bang, didn't he? I mean, they, they were really struggling for a number of years. He got them to second week of the finals year one, got them to a preliminary final year two. They then had, had that downturn, sort of came back into the finals, down again. And then last year, you know, like, haven't been far off. I, I give him points for embracing the injection of youth into that side. Yeah, that's correct. That's, I think, the best thing. The, not only did they go to the draft and invest heavily in it before 2009, was it 2020 or 19 that they went there? And not only did they invest heavily in it, but he supported that investment and now has a quite a precocious group of young 20s. And I, I, think, think, I think it was the 18 draft. I think yeah, this correct. is the third yeah, that, season for... Yeah, that's that's what I feel it is. And yeah. I think he's played that hand very well. Those those players are all self-assured. They've played a lot of football. And they let me tell you, on the open market, Butters, Rosie, Dersma, Trilgeitis, all of them would have huge value. So he really has taken raw product and got something immense out of them in terms of player value and value to the club. You've got to keep the bloke that does that on, don't you? Well, I get, I get your answer to the question depends on how you see that list of players. So people who think, you know, he's run his race or he's had his chance or whatever must be thinking that list isn't performing as well as it should. That's where I disagree because I think the list is good I don't think it's great, you know. Um, I, I think there's a number of players there who they've got terrific performances from who have done really well. I mean, look at the back line, for example. You know, the likes of Cleary and, and Jonas and, um, you know, you had Hartlett there um, before him, you know, Matthew Broadbent, guys like this. They've had guys holding that defence together who have, have been far from stars or seen as not seen as stars and yet they've performed they've been pretty solid performers over a number of years I don't think that's necessarily a star started playing list and I look at their performances and go geez they should be doing better than that which to me suggests that you know the guys taking them to a preliminary final last year at the moment you know however unimpressed we might be with their flag prospects they are a top four side now, I'm not sure that's the sort of performance graph that sees you offloading a coach unless your expectations are unrealistically high. That's how I see it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think they just need a few more dynamic footballers. Like you say, Clory, Jonas, Trent McKenzie, Ryan Burton. They're not really dynamic footballers and they just need a little bit more of that Expect sort of play. Speed, X-Factor, and another midfielder or two. Yeah, well, so I was thinking about Motlop and Gray. You could say Motlop adds that, but, you know, he's... I'm not sure how old Stephen Motlop is now, but he's sort of on the down downward slope, you would have thought. And similar with Gray, you know, as fantastic a player as he's been, you can't rely on Robbie Gray to be producing what he was, you know, four or five years ago. No, so, but Motlop and Gray... At, at, they need more of that upfield because as you get a sense with Fantasia as well and even with the early 
years of Rosie and Butters. It's all with the goals in sight. They need some of that dynamism f- further afield, away from their own goals. Yeah, no, no, I think that's a, a fair comment. Um, people pointing out the sub you were talking about for Sydney was Mark Seabey. Correct, it was Mark Seabey. Yeah, a couple of people pointing yeah, that it out. Yeah, there was. And he, he rude it, did Longmire. Uh, Ryan says, have you guys seen the... Well, fine, he won't because he doesn't, he's never on Twitter. Uh, have you seen the Twitter account, has the umpire made a mistake? Yes, I have, Ryan, and I've had dialogue with him. Um, I've had a couple of stouches with him too over the odd political issue. <laughs> but, uh, um, I think I don't think I've muted or blocked him yet. So, uh, yeah, no, he performs... I don't know who he is, but he, he performs a, a decent public service. Um, Ian Dowson says Dunstall would be short 400 goals if he can't do that. That's talking about the pushing of an opponent. Uh, all right. Thanks, 1138 says if the A- you have to explain to us what that username's about. If the <laughs> AFL's serious about getting Gold Coast viable, they'll shoehorn Clarko in there. Actually, just before you comment on that, uh, did you see Clarko's press conference today for him? No, I didn't see anything today, Ron. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we'll let you off. But uh, Clarkson did his press conference today and spoke unprompted for about 15 minutes about his own situation, talked mm-hmm. about his uh, personal life, talked about how the, um, the impact of uh, the loss of his older brother in a car accident, and he talked about the death of his brother-in-law, through cancer about 10 years ago. And this was all in the context of, um, you know, loyalty and integrity being important to him and he will honour his contract. And, you know, we've had this discussion and we discuss it again on the podcast on Wednesday. And, and I think we both agree on this, that we, we think that it'll pan out, how Hawthorne are saying it'll pan out and that a lot of media is suggesting otherwise are basically barracking for the sexiest story. Yep. You agree with that? No, I agree. I, I think you've got a person who's made it very clear that he's going to serve out his contract, and I think Clarko's word is his... Bond? Well, it's his, it's, it's his um, brand, isn't it? Yep. Yep, no, I, I certainly, and I, I think he's less ego-driven than a lot of his contemporaries as well, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I think it's true to himself rather than the image that he portrays or is seen to be by others. He's answers to himself first. All right, Stephen Batty says, Hinkley has had his chances, got to go, and he follows it up with Jared Schofield or Brett Montgomery are ready to go to replace Hinkley. Interesting. Does it have to be someone who's been connected with Port Adelaide? I wouldn't have thought so. Who had Adam Kingsley? Well, yeah. It'd be a, well, he's, uh, now, where did I see him? Oh, I saw him being pushed forward as a contender for Collingwood, actually. I mean, he would now be pretty sure he'd be the longest-serving assistant coach in the system. Um, when started in an assistant coaching role with Port in, I think, 2007. You know, it was that long ago. Yeah, had a long um, time at St Kilda. Yeah, yeah, was, and he's been at Richmond since 2019. So I think he had two or three years at Port. Yep. 
about 10 at St Kilda and um, uh, since 2019 at Richmond. In fact, I, I've sat in the St Kilda box for a game in 2015 um, and one of my memories is the seniority which was bestowed upon him, you know, like after Richo, he didn't tend to say that much. Um, Kingsley was the guy sort of very much in control of a situation. So, you know, he's very highly regarded in coaching circles. I know that. Uh, thanks, 1138 says, Ross Lyon likes ready-made lists, Port Adelaide. Interesting. Yeah. I think we've gone beyond what Ross likes. It's with the clubs like Ross. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's still being thrown around in um, discussions about Collingwood. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm... No, I think his stocks have fallen significantly, haven't they? Yeah, because of the last couple of years at Frio, perhaps. Yeah, and that wasn't just on field. No, 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 that's true. That's true. But even on field, actually. I mean, they talked a lot about rebuilding, but did they actually rebuild? Uh, I thought mm. that that was always debatable. I'd also, you know, pretty alarming the way they fell away so quickly after 2015. I mean, they finished 2015 on top of the ladder, um, went out in the preliminary final, and then they lost, what, the first 10 games of 2016. And then, you know, five seconds later, they're talking about being in a rebuild. How does that happen yep. after you've... You know, yeah, that, yeah. Always, that always struck me as pretty odd. So yep. uh, Liam Northover says, Hinkley is the best car salesman in the comp. Oh, that's tough. Um, Christopher Christopher says the youth was a product of Davies more than Hinkley, to be fair. Oh, I was talking about Chris Davies, the football manager. Yeah, mm -hmm. fair enough, fair enough. Um, he also says, so he got a shot at a rebuild without any runs on the board. Um, Hinkley, talking about, and at the start of his coaching career, yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, I'm surprised that there's strong feeling against him, I'm this oh, no, there is. I've noticed yeah. that among Port supporters. Surprising to me. Well, we, we Footyology um, ran a piece by James Rosewarn last week about Port and a bit of a defence of Hinkley, really. And uh, there was a fair bit of blowback to it. I think Port, you know, Port people are pretty frustrated about being around the mark without being able to to go much further. But Gee, I mean, they've 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 gone down and come up again, and the upswing has only been, you know, this is sort of year three of it. So yeah. you have to, you have to have a bit of patience. Yep. Um, all right, Craig again says, "Is Rockcliffe the missing midfielder, or is he finished?" I oh, know he's finished. Really? Yeah. I mean, wasn't he a regular in the side earlier in the season? No, okay. hasn't played this year. All right. Wasn't he pretty decent last year? Just trying to remember. Hang on, excuse me. Just trying to remember where he had some. Yeah, he had some good numbers last year, but quickly demoted back to the sandfall. Then he got injured in the sandfall. Then he got thrown deep vein from Bosis in the sandfall. Then he got suspended in the sandfall. Maybe I'm um, maybe I'm thinking of the year before. No, he finished eighth in the best and fairest last year. Yeah. Yeah, but he was quickly back in the sand for this year. He just his numbers, unfortunately, don't seem to 
get him the, you know, his raw numbers look great, but obviously he doesn't do enough two-way running because he gets dropped on big numbers. All right. Yeah, no, we're certainly out of favour at the moment. Leroy says Dersman to come back also. He did come back, Leroy. He played tonight. Yeah, he played tonight. Um, Clarko to Port 2023, says Christopher Ha. Uh, well, he has been an assistant coach there, hasn't he? He knows the, the way of the yeah. land. Um, uh, thanks, 1138 says, oh, he's explaining his username. It's a dystopian George Lucas sci-fi movie from before Star Wars, a cult classic. Ask, <laughs> An- ask Andrea. Andrea, of course, being uh, my, daughter. Daughter, my daughter, the film reviewer. Thanks, 1138. She'll be glad um, you referenced her. In fact, if you, if you like Andrea Connolly's uh, film and TV criticism, she's written... Actually, you'd like this show, Fanny. You'd be a Monty for it. Mm-hmm. An, an Irish gangster drama called Love, Hate. Oh, yeah. Um, which it's a few years old, apparently, but she's absolutely loving it. Apparently, there's an issue uh, getting access to it on streaming. It's pretty hard to get because some seasons are here and others are elsewhere and whatever. But, um, no, she's a huge rap for it. Anyway, that piece, is, for it. <laughs> that piece is up today on Footyology. So uh, check it out. She her, her reference points were, if you like any of the first series of Underbelly, Peaky Blinders, even The Sopranos, you will like it. Oh, good. Yeah. What are you laughing at, Damon? Oh, yeah, sorry. Dan, Dan Finch is getting... Uh, getting uh, cranky at me because I keep saying thanks. Well, it looks like an abbreviation for thanks. <laughs> it's, it's THX. All right. Uh, my apologies. So, it's not even your username. What are you getting shooting about? Um, Johnson Von Trapp says, Hinkley and Port will end in tears. Koch will be forced to make a hard call one day, which isn't in him. Isn't it? Just, I would have thought... Uh, I would have thought... Um, Having worked with Samantha Armitage for a number of years would have hardened you for any situation, wouldn't it? <laughs> what do I mean by that? Um, well, I don't know. I just I had the misfortune to look at her Twitter feed a few times. Ah, oh, jeez, what is it with Australian TV and news programs and extreme right-wing political views? Uh, anyway. Uh, nine years, a lot of patience, says Stephen Batty. Uh, he agrees with you on Rockcliffe. As much as I love Rockcliffe, he's done, sucks. Uh, Johnson Von Trapp, are clubs vaccinating players? Uh, yeah, well, actually, no, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure I've seen anything about that. Um, I'm getting well, my shot. I'm getting a shot on Sunday. Oh, that's good. Uh, they may not be – no, they're probably not in the eligible group yet. I mean, they're probably falling about younger age bracket that are, are still waiting. Yep. I'll tell you what, just on this, one thing I am a, di- a, a bit dirty about is did you get AstraZeneca? No, I was, I was supposed to, and then the week I was going to get it, I got a call from my doctor saying we're off. That was so, the 50 to 59-year-old week. Yeah, you know, see, I mean, I, well, I'm dirty on that. I mean, if I'd have waited another, I got my shot at the end of May. And at that time, the advice was anyone over 50, get AstraZeneca. Fine. I went and did it. And then, you know, a month ago, suddenly it's um, anyone over 60 should get AstraZeneca. Then, uh, and look, I mean, 
you know, anecdotally, AstraZeneca's fine. I think the vast bulk of people in Great Britain have been vaccinated have had AstraZeneca. But it sort of annoys me. And, and the advice keeps changing on the window between shots. Like, it's a 12-week window. So I'm not due for my second shot until the end of August. And, you know, we've come this far. I'll be buggered if I'm going to catch it now. So it sort of makes me not want to go outside or have contact with anyone, really, which to be honest, probably means I won't be changing my lifestyle a bit. But, you know, like the changing advice, people have made really important decisions dependent upon the advice. And incidentally, just so the PM's address on the National Cabinet tonight, he comes out to do a press conference about the meeting of the National Cabinet and says, I don't discuss what the National Cabinet discussed. So what are you holding the press conference for? Then he references, of all people, Kyle Sandwich. Anyway... Um, all right, Suds McDuff says, Hamish and Bruce managed to insert horse racing references into the opening ceremony coverage. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, maybe they were talking about the Japan Cup or something. Um, all right, Johnson Von Trapp, prolific tonight, Andrew. Koch needs stability. It's all about his image. Actually, who is his Sunrise co-host now? I've lost track. Don't know. Well, I don't watch it, but is it um, oh, someone tell us Kochi's co-host? Oh, it'd be Pauline Hanson, wouldn't it? I <laughs> know. Oh, she's not right wing enough for Channel 7. Sorry, I forgot. Anyhow, so I was supposed to get AstraZeneca. Yeah. But now I'm getting Dylan Fitznut. Yeah, Dylan Fitznut, very good. Um Oh, well, that's good. Well, that means you've get uh, you. It's only like a three week wait, isn't it, between the first and second shot with Pfizer? I don't know. I've got I've got a notification. Well, I've got to be at the convention centre at eleven a.m. for my shot on Sunday. Oh, really? How are we yeah. going to do the podcast? Oh, well, well, I'm just telling you that I've got to be there at eleven a.m. Well, we'll discuss it. We'll have to do it earlier. Um, all right. Uh, anyway, back. Back to Johnson's thing about the vaccinations. He says that uh, they could fix any issues of hubs, et cetera. Uh, would they? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they'd still be playing in front of lock. Yeah, the, the idea is that they want to play. They want to play in front of a crowd. So yeah, the playing body. I, the playing body is deemed safe. It's the crowd that's the problem. Uh, Natalie Barr is, uh, thanks, Robert. Natalie Barr is Kochi's co-host. Leroy wants to know, oh, that's me. Did you get crook after getting the shot? No, I didn't. Um, the, I'll tell you what, what did happen. Um, again, I'm not sure if it was just how I'm, my lifestyle these days or what, but uh, I went and got the shot. I felt fine, but I did have a bit of an afternoon snooze after I got it, and I did... Yeah, I think I slept a fair bit. And I'm told, I, I read the other day from someone that had the second shot that you, yeah, you just like for a couple of days afterwards, all you want to do is sleep. So there are worse side effects. I've heard of a couple of people that had, you know, soreness at the site of the injection. I didn't get that. Some people had headaches. I didn't get that. So like, it's pretty minimal, whatever it is. So um, anyway, well, all good. And even one shot, I think, of AstraZeneca reduces your chances of getting it by about 50%. The second shot takes you up to about 80%, I think. Uh, all right, let's keep going. 
Um, oh, Stephen Batty is in New Zealand. We only have Pfizer here in NZ, so happy with that. Yeah, well, New Zealand government, not for the first time, showing up its Australian equivalent. Uh, we sort of got used to that. Um, Cameron Demand says, thoughts on Adam Simpson's comments? Yeah, we spoke about it right at the top of the show, Cameron. So uh, if you want to, after we've finished, if you want to go back and uh, have a look right uh, at the start of the program, actually, it was the first thing we talked about, really, and I think it was an interesting discussion. Uh, Stephen got pretty sick for a couple of days. Yeah, well, I mean, different people react in different ways. Geez, our audience just spiked by about 50, almost almost 200 people at the moment. What's going on? Geez, the Tokyo thing must really suck. <laughs> we, should, we, should have, we should have done our own opening ceremony finding. What, what, what could we have done? I should have got, yeah, I could have got, um, what's her name? Uh, uh, something Webster. You know, the redhead girl. Nikki Webster. Nikki Webster. Should have got Nikki Webster to dangle from a thing on the roof here. Although she's I could about, have got Tim Webster to dangle. <laughs> yeah, I saw an interview with Nikki Webster recently. Like she's, you sort of lose track of time, don't you? She, how old was she then? She's eight or nine or something. Like so, she's nearly thirty, but she is thirty, and she's got kids. And um, anyway, it's pretty amazing what she did, I suppose. Uh, yeah, that was those are the days, aren't they? What a what a simpler time that was. Do you know, um, speaking about simpler and happier times, um, Tom Morris of uh, Fox Footy and Fox Sports did a, wrote a really good piece yesterday about the Essendon North Melbourne comeback game in 2001. Spoke to a whole lot of people involved with it, both players and coaches and stuff. I got yep. quoted in it, Friday, a piece I wrote yep. in, in the lead-up got quoted. Um, but my favourite story about that is one of the greatest days of my life. I got to cover my team... Um, coming back from a 69-point deficit to to win, uh, wrote the match report I had to write and then walked from the MCG press box down Swan Street to the Corner Hotel where I watched the Mark of Kane play one of the great gigs of all time. What a fan. I remember as we stumbled out at about 1am that night saying, that was a pretty bloody good day. <laughs> Anyway, it's a great read, so uh, check it out. The funny thing, actually, Tom didn't mention with that piece, I'm not having a go at him here, but that was really Essendon's last hurrah. You know, like the uh, someone posted a grab of the commentary at the end of the game, and Gary Lyon was on 3AW, and they're all going mad about it. And he says, this is the greatest team of all time. And uh, that gave them, I think, four, yeah, 14 wins from 16 games. Of course, the previous season, they'd won 24 or 25. So at that stage, they had won 38 of 41, 41 games. And from that moment, uh, they went 5-4 for the rest of the season. They lost the next week. In fact, I think they lost the next two. And they, you know, they won a final, lost the grand final, of course, to Brisbane. But never, ever got anywhere near that level of football again either that season or subsequent weeks. So uh, it's interesting, sort of, you know, what their their absolute high point as a football team was effectively their last hurrah. Um, <laughs> THX1138 wants to know if I spilt coffee on Lethal Lee at that game too. <laughs> no, no, fortunately, fortunately not. I don't think uh, I would have survived a second assault on his chest. 
Um, Stanier on drums, asked Leroy, yes, he was. Yes, he was, and that's John Stanier. Um, sorry, we're talking about music favorite. John Stanier, of course, finally, as you'd know, the drummer for Helmet. Uh, Helmet broke up in 98, and Stanier went and played with the Mark of Cain. As you do. And he was wonderful. I'll tell you what, Fonny, you've got to watch this. You look up the song Wilma's Rainbow live, and there is a helmet doing the song Wilma's Rainbow on the John Stewart show. If that isn't the tightest live rendition of a great song you've ever seen on a TV show, it is sensational. Geez, I wish we had the capacity to play grabs and stuff. I'd get Damon to, in fact, I bet Damon's looking it up right now. Have a listen to it, Damon. I'll knock your socks off. And stop doing super coach, because you'll make me swear again. <laughs> Actually, I got away with that pretty lightly last week by comparison. Um, <laughs> Johnson Von Trapp says uh, many great. Oh, audience has just gone down to sixty-three, so we lost two thirds of that. <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, Johnson says many great days at the footy, followed by an epic gig in the eighties, nineties. Couldn't agree more. Uh, all right. Uh, look, we're running out of questions, folks. So if there's no more, I think we should start with the tips, Finey. Yep. Uh, have you got a tipping device for us this evening? Yeah. So the team that you tip, you are going to tip a Mac, an MC or an MAC who played for that team. Yep. By giving me a first name. Oh, okay. So first name and Mac, but you're going to try and pick one that is fairly obscure, you know, that, that the first name will lead you to the surname. So it is gettable. In other words, have a, a, a fairly, um, not unique, but a, a, an unusual first name. And hopefully that'll make the second name obvious. All right. Okay. Good luck, Damon, explaining that one. And just quickly, Leroy says, um, Leroy's mate, Stewie, was the drummer for Mark of Cain until he was replaced by John Stania, but he was okay with it. Uh, that's interesting. They did. They have churned through a few drummers. The guy they got now is called EY something, but um, you know, Spinal Tap churned through. A, I mean, be thankful, Leroy, that he didn't spontaneously combust or choke on someone else's vomit like the drummers in <laughs> Spinal. You've seen Spinal Tap, haven't you, Fine? Yes, I have. Great movie. Um, all right. Okay. So the Tipping device is you have to come up with a Mac who played for the side you're tipping, but only by referring to their first name. So that'll be interesting. Here we go. I'm just calling up the matches for this week. And, of course, we have five tomorrow. So the first game on the menu, 1.45 p.m. at Marvel Stadium. It is between Carlton and North Melbourne. Okay, I'm kicking us off. Yep. And I'm going with Peter. Peter McConville. Correct. You're going for Carlton. I am going for Carlton. Okay. I'll uh, go so to our viewers at home, send in your suggestions too. I'll go for Andrew. You're going for Andrew. Uh, oh, Mackay. Yep. Off Carlton. Yes. And Dion Stennard went for Andrew as well. Good work, Dion. I know you're good at this game. Uh, Robert Rice is going for Dean. McRae. Dean McRae going for North. 
uh, or maybe is there a Carlton one we haven't thought of? No. no. So Robert's going. No, that's a good one, Robert. No, that's good. Works well. Works well. Uh, all right. And next game on the card is the Q Clash, which is is that at the Gabba? Yes, it is at the Gabba at three ten p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Brisbane and Gold Coast. Well, not too many problems here. It's half a side. Yeah, that's right. You can go the current easily. Um, all right. Well, I'm going for. You said it has to be an unusual name, so I'm going for Oscar. Ah, you're going for Oscar McInerney. <laughs> are you not? Yes, I am. I just did. Yeah, I'm saying you're going for Oscar McInerney. Yeah. Um, I'm going for Scott. Uh, I just sort of Dion Scott for some reason. Uh, Scott. Oh, McIver. Yes. So we're both going for Brisbane. Um, yep. Other viewer suggestions. We've got uh, Ashley McGrath. Yeah, good. Trent. Trent. Oh, Mackenzie, if you're going for Gold Coast. Ah, good one, Johnson. Uh, Brendan. Brendan McCartney. Gee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Gold Coast, Brendan. You, uh, you win, um, Leroy. You have to tell us who you mean. Super Coach Edge. Oh, super. <laughs> how many aliases have you got? Uh, has served up Bow. Oh, McDonald. Yeah, the Premiership Ruckman. He is a Premiership Ruckman. I was thinking that. Yeah, he never think touched he only, the ball. Yeah, but I think he only played in one, didn't he? No, he played in two. Got no possessions. Yeah, I reckon he had no possessions in two. In the first one, he had no possessions and about 20 hitouts. And in the second one, he did his knee before he could get near the ball. Yeah, okay. Well, that's more than um, uh, what's his face? Um, Aaron Keating for Adelaide. Actually, Aaron Keating played in two premierships in a week. Played one for the Crows and then played one for Norwood the following uh, Saturday. Uh, Brendan slash Billy, says Leroy. Oh, McCormack. Ah, Billy McCormack, yeah. Daniel. Daniel. Mm. Oh, McStay, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. there's Daniel. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay, next game. So, we anyway, we're going for Brisbane after all that. Both Hughes, there's Brisbane. not a lot of Hughes getting around. No, there's not. Uh, how many Macs have they got now? It's at least six, isn't it? They've got a lot. McInerney, McLuggage. McStay, McStay. McCarthy. Yeah. McRob- um, McRobinson. McRobinson. <laughs> uh, um, McKeepwood. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's others, I think. Anyhow, all right. Robert Forbes says, "Just watch it, Rowan. Incredible." Oh, I just watched it. Yeah, right. He watched the live clip of Wilma's Rainbow. Great mm, rhythm good. section. You got to listen to it, Fanny. Come on. All right, I can't. Well, I'm doing this. Okay. Well, so as soon as we finish, I'm telling okay. everyone. We Wilma's Rainbow live on the John Stewart show. It rocks. Uh, right. So could I give a recommendation? Yeah, uh, uh, Ryan said McZorko. Yeah, go on. What's your recommendation? Tism doing um, Old Man River. I'm never going to be an Old Man River. You know, that's the song where they said, I did the drugs. Yeah, killed, killed River Phoenix. Is that on Live YouTube? Live at Collingwood Town Hall. Yeah. Because there's this great moment where the crowd is all pogoing and going crazy, where somebody falls upside down in the crowd, but for a split second, his leg is still <laughs> diving with the music. 
Okay. It's great. All right. There is some great music stuff on YouTube. There is such good stuff. Cot YouTube's great. Um, all right, let's move on. West Coast and Kilda, 4.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Perth. Uh, yeah, I've got a good one, I think. Um, Andrew. McDougal. Ah, oh, good get. So I'm tipping West Coast. Yep. And I'll go for Jeremy. McGovern. Yep. That's a bit easy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, next... Uh, Melbourne Western Bulldogs, 7.25 p.m. at the MCG. Unfortunately, second time we're going to get teams one and two on the ladder playing each other in front of zero spectators. Pretty yep. disappointing. Um, all right. I am going for Andrew. McPherson? No. He's a current player. He doesn't play for either of them. Andrew and I'm just double-checking that it's actually legit, but I think it is. Andrew. You're not going for Andrew McDougall again, are you? I am. <laughs> that's a trick answer. Well, not yeah, really. He played for the Bulldogs. All right, yeah, I'll see yeah. if I can think of another one. Um, but in the meantime, you, you do yours. I'm going for Craig. <laughs> um, uh, oh, Craig. Oh, gee. Um, McKellar. Well done. Yeah. That's exactly who I was going for. His second club. Yep. Uh, yeah, geez, how many... I was thinking about it the other day. How many players sort of went to Melbourne from a first club? I don't know why, but when you said Craig, I thought of Craig Ellis. He went to Melbourne, didn't he, after the yeah. Bulldogs? Yeah. You know he's, what he's famous for? Uh, being a helicopter pilot or so, a pilot and a fashion no. label. Yeah, but being a man about town. Absolutely known as the footballer who knew least about football or other footballers. Oh, really? Oh, famously. Right. So famously, they were playing in a final, I think, against Adelaide. Yeah. And they came in a quarter time and he was really excited because they were winning. And he said, come on, we've got them. Treadray hasn't touched it yet. That's what he said. He doesn't play for Adelaide. He plays for Port Adelaide, mate. <laughs> and who, who was he talking about? No one. He just hadn't seen Trevor. <laughs> he just didn't realise he didn't play for Adelaide. And, and famously, he was always told by his coaches what number he was playing on, not the person yeah. he was playing on. I hadn't heard that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Should, have put him, should have put him in a footy quiz scenario up against Gary Ablett Senior. Well, I, I sort of became... I, I, after he finished Nathan Carroll, I became mates with, and he used to tell great Craig Ellis stories, Nathan Gill. Well, one of my favourite Gary Ablett stories is uh, a State of Origin game for Victoria against South Australia in 1987. And they're too, you know, they've flown over to Adelaide, they're training out on Football Park and they're doing, you know, uh, line, line drills, you know, two group at each end. And... Um, Gazza turns around and says to the guy uh, behind him, he says, oh, who's this bloke again? He says, oh, Gary Wine. He's <laughs> playing for Victoria. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Uh, so we're both... Uh, oh, no, you're tipping Melbourne, I'm tipping the Bulldogs. Yeah. Next game, um, 7.40 p.m. There's that bloody app. Refreshing again at Marvel Stadium, 7:40 p.m. Adelaide up against Hawthorne. 
Oh, yeah, I've got it. Yeah, this is a good one. Luke. McFarlane. Well, no, I wasn't thinking of him, but yeah. I wasn't thinking of him, though. McCabe. Yes. Number seven. All right. Who are you going with? Um, I'm going with... Um, um, ben. What? Ben. Oh, Ben. Oh, McAvoy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Dion said big boy. Um, Leroy Jones says McDermott. No, we want the first name, Leroy. So you should have said Chris or Bone. <laughs> uh, Scotty McGuinness says Johnson Von Trapp. Uh, yep. THX says Chris. Oh, McDermott. Yep. Uh, yep. So we're right across that one. All right. So we're both going for Hawthorne there. Sunday, uh, 12.30 p.m. Gee, there's been some early games on Sundays. In fact, that I watched that Essendon North one, you know. First time I've ever watched my side play eating breakfast. <laughs> it's pretty weird. Um, Sydney playing Fremantle at uh, Metricon Stadium, of course. Yep. All right. Uh, I'll go first. All right. Hayden. Hayden or Aiden? Hayden. Hayden. Oh, I can think of was Roger Hayden. Um, Hayden? Oh, McLean. No. Isn't he Hayden McLean? Is he? The current Swans players. Oh, Hayden. shit. I think you've got away with that. Yeah, I reckon you have. Bastard. So who, who are we thinking of? Hayden McAuliffe. Oh, when did he play? Here we go. I remember Hayden McCall, if I reckon, was in the first pack of footy cards I ever bought. Oh, really? Oh, so yeah. early 70s. Early 70s. Okay. Leroy, come on, Leroy, you're being silly now, says McMorwood. Uh, Darren Mackesy, good, good one. Like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Andrew McGovern, very good. Jeremy's dad. Not a bad player in his own right. Yep. Um, okay, so I'm going for I've got a good one, I reckon. Dean McRae, yeah, is that the second time I've named him? As yeah, well? yeah, yeah, well, he played for North and South, <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, well, somebody else named him, and yeah, that's funny. By the time uh, he was playing for Sydney, he was really starting to lose his hair, wasn't he? Oh, he was proper bald, yeah, yeah, I sort of remember. I was just like, shave it off, mate, yeah, it's like the um, the advanced hair ads, you know, where the guy said, My barber said to me. Do you think we should shave it all off? And that was my turning point. Have you noticed with that ad, that guy, he says the barber said, shave it all off. When he says that was my turning point, he sort of gulps like he's about to burst into tears. He was like like he's talking about, you know, getting a cancer diagnosis or something. You know, mate, it's just your hair. How about the idiot that was at the petrol station and saw a guy that he thought looked like him but was going bald and then he realised it was him? Yeah, well, I thought that was quite funny. Except he should, you he, should, he should be a virgin, said I, I was at the petrol station. I thought I saw Josh Kennedy. <laughs> Does he look like Josh Kennedy? He does look like Josh Kennedy. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so we are both going for Sydney. Yeah. Second game on Sunday. Jeez, I cannot tell you how much I hate the overlap. Uh, second game is Geelong Richmond, three twenty PM at the MCG. Uh, uh, that's an obvious one. 
I'm going for Austin. Oh, I, I was going to go for him. <laughs> Austin McCrabb. Yeah. All right, I'm going for, him for Hawthorne. He played for Hawthorne as well. Didn't yeah. He? he did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going for um, Marty. McFly. <laughs> um, well, I'm a, you didn't tip Richmond. No. I was Mar thinking of Marty McMillan. No, yeah, that's a good one, but no. Martin or Marty? Uh, okay. McChristensen. No, no, I'll get it. Marty. Marty Mack for Geelong. Uh, oh, McKinnon. Correct. Went from Adelaide to Geelong or the other way around? Yeah, with some Brisbane in there or something. Yeah. Uh, so we've got some other suggestions here. Oh, Johnson, very clever. It's gone for Peter McCormack. That was the other uh, destination club for rejects, wasn't it? Richmond in the sort of... Oh, the, the Collingwood Richmond Wars, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, McCormack was one of the later ones there, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. But McCormack, interestingly, do people know where he finished his AFL career? Uh, well, did he go think? back to Collingwood? No. Uh, so he didn't finish at Richmond. Oh, uh, Fitzroy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, some other suggestions. Bill McMaster-Smith from Darren. That's Carlton or St Kilda. Oh, Bruce, Mc yeah, McMaster-Smith played for St Kilda and Carlton. Wasn't uh, Billy McMaster? No, Geelong coach. Oh, there's Bruce McMaster Smith played for St Kilda and Carlton. Yeah, Billy he McMaster played in the '65 Grand Final for St Kilda. Yeah, shock trooper, five foot four wingman. Well, he didn't look sort of too much. Did he? No, we, no. We won that flag from fourth. Oh, wait, sorry, Essendon won that flag from fourth. Eddie uh, Fordham. Uh, seven goals. Uh, Glenn McLean. Yep. Uh, my old man was at that game. Good on him. No, he talks about going to see that game and then coming home pissed and having to babysit me. So I was only mm. about, I was about six months old. Yeah, great. All right. So, well, you had a taste of it the following year, Fanny. Unfortunately, you were too. Oh, yeah, lots of remember. <laughs> Couldn't, uh, couldn't speak highly enough of it. Didn't Molly Meldrum... What was the Molly Meldrum story? He fainted. Yeah, he fainted. Idiot. Uh, all right, last game. Uh, so we're both going for Geelong. Yeah. Uh, last game of the round, 6.10pm. Nice early Sunday evening. Gosh, it used to be a Sunday night. You know, you got your cheese on toast and soup and watched... Um, what was it? Disney? What was the Disney thing? Disney yeah. World? World of Disney. Now you can watch the footy. Um, all right. Uh, is it too obvious to go for Andy? Hang on, what game is it? Essen and GWS. Okay, well, you can have your tip. I'll have mine. Oh, you go for it. Oh, well, I, I said Andy. Andy, you said? McGrath? Yeah. McGrath? Yes. Who are you going for? for? I'll go for... Um... Now, then I was always confused by this. I'm going to go for Don. McKenzie. Yeah. Were there more than one Don McKenzie's? No, he had a, he had a brother, didn't he? 
Didn't he have a, do you have a brother? Right. I'm going to go for Daniel then. Uh, McAllister. Well done. Yes, Daniel yeah. McAllister. Number four draft pick. Played about yeah. half a dozen games. Yeah, yeah. Daniel McAllister. Oh, there's another current player we could have had, of course. McDonald Tippenwati. Correct. Um, there's just... a lot of Max in the league at the moment. There's no lack of Max. No, no. Again, that's showing the Anglo-Saxon bias, isn't it? Well, okay. All right, so that's it. So we're both going for Essendon. You are going yep. for Essendon, correct? Yep. Um, <laughs> Johnson von Trafford's Mark McCurry. <laughs> well, you can have Mark McVeigh. That's pretty good. Yeah, Mark McVeigh. Yeah. No, they've had a lot, actually. Yeah. Uh, Leroy wants ba- Barry McKenzie. Uh, that's um, <laughs> the wonderful world of cinema. Yes. Adam. Who's some GWS Max? McPhee. Oh, yeah, Adam McPhee, yeah. So got any GWS Max? Um, Mc... Hamish McTavish. I'll tell you in a minute. Come on, Fine. You this is supposed to be your strong suit. Right, well, I'm trying to think of any. Um, uh, McDonald, you know, in the first. Anthony McDonald. Uh, James yeah. McDonald. You know, the guy from Melbourne. Yeah, James. Yeah, so I've got one. All right. Um, There's one more. There's only one more. Really? Um, yeah. A short-lived flame on the horizon of goal-kicking. Well, not goal-kicking, but he was a exciting forward. Went to another club like all GWS players do. And I, I don't know. I think they might have delisted him, actually. He's not getting a game, certainly. The know. other clubs in the West. He had a bit of a checkered. Um, oh yeah, um, oh yeah, yeah. The 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 big forward. Um, yeah, really bad moustache. McCarthy, Cam McCarthy. Yeah, he could have been anything, you know. Yeah, and Ryan uh, Ryan's gone a bit left field. Jason McCartney, the list manager. There you go. All right. Well, uh, uh, Jim McAllister, of course, he played for Essendon too. And, mm. and uh, Footscray as well. And Collingwood. Collingwood, yeah. He was a bad backman at three different clubs. Well, actually, I remember my memory of him at Collingwood is he played, he was one of the opponents on Paul Salmon early in 1984. Uh, Fish kicked about seven or eight that day. Ronnie Andrews had to play on him, and then I think Jim McAllister did. I think he had the same experience on Plugger where he was thrust into some work on Tony Lockett that didn't last very long. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap it up there. Thanks, everyone. Um, hey, is there if, a player called McOrrest for Collingwood? Ian McOrrest, there was. And I think he played in the final in 1972 against your team. Yeah, why, yeah. why I know that. I, well done. It scares me that I do. But anyway. Yeah. Um, Damon, can you put up a link for Patreon? If you're watching this and you liked it, or you're a regular viewer and you're still not an official Footyology patron, what's holding you back? $7 Australian per month gets you this quality content, this riveting football discussion, the wackiness of our selections every week, the digressions into politics and discussions on the state of the education system. Where else can you get all this? Nowhere, I tell you. So become an official Fideology patron today for $7 Australian per month. No, in all seriousness, 
it's what we rely on to keep going. So uh, the more people sign up, the longer we can keep this baby operational and the less likely the chance of me having to solicit ugly drunk men down in St Kilda. Mm. <laughs> no, hopefully it won't get that bad, but uh, no, it all helps. So, um, uh, oh, yes, Phil Van Dam, Norm MacDonald for Essendon, of course. First Indigenous footballer at Essendon. Correct. Leroy wants to know who was the Essendon bloke plugger choked. It was Brad McFox. <laughs> no, it was Brad Fox, Leroy. Yep. Do you know, I, I, I have told you, I broke that story, Finey. Yeah. He nearly broke his neck. Well, no one knew. It was never, no one knew about it. It wasn't yeah. written, wasn't spoken about. No, it's good. Good you broke. Um, for the Sunday age too. So we broke it a week after the game. But um, yep. yeah, he, he almost died. Uh, Johnson Von Trapp says, how many patterns do I have? What do you mean? Oh, Patreons. Sorry. Uh, not enough, Johnson. <laughs> not Ooh. enough to keep this little baby going. Um, no, look, we're, we're, we've got a few. Uh, we've, got, we've got over 200, but um, the costs continue to increase. I mean, the more we get, the more riders we can take on, the better the content we produce. Uh, none of us are getting rich off this, trust me. Uh, that's not the way the media operates now. Have, anyway, a the, have a look at the quality of the paintings. Exactly. Um, oh, Damon's just bought his cat. Oh, lovely cat. Damon, can you put your cat on camera? Come on, Damon. Damon's got a lovely, fluffy, hi, Ash. A lovely, fluffy white cat. Oh, that's gorgeous. I love cats. Male or female? All right, move it. That's male. Oh, very cute. Patty, Patty the cat. All right, it's time to go. Um, so any, any support you can offer will be very much appreciated. Um, you'll catch us next uh, on the podcast Sunday evening when we wrap up round 19. It's going to be a late drop Sunday night because that last game won't finish until about 8.50. So uh, it will be there on Sunday night, but quite late. So look out for it. Um, and we'll do this all again next Friday. And the game in question he searched for desperately will be... Uh, well, at this stage, no, it could be anything, to be honest. But uh, Essendon-Sydney is the game scheduled for that could next be good. Friday. That'd be a corker. You'd think they'd probably leave that as a Friday night, wouldn't you? That's a showpiece game. Uh, be interesting where it is. It's supposed to be at Marvel. Well, Sydney play all right at Marvel, so there you go. Anyway, look forward to that. Um, thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, go back to Tokyo and see what crap they're serving up. I'm sure this has been a lot more fun. Uh, been a pleasure to bring it to you and uh, we'll catch you next time see you later